All right. So tonight we're going to um, we're gonna we're gonna pick up where we left off last week and try to jump in and finish last week's before we jump into this week's. And we're gonna try. I say we're gonna try to knock them both out. Bo said we are going to knock them both out. So he is more confident than I. <laughs> but we are gonna start out in Luke chapter two. Um, and if you remember last week, we talked specifically about uh, the birth of Christ. And um, tonight we're going to look at people who are witnesses to that birth and to his toddler years a couple of years later, right? Yes, sir. Uh, <clears throat> All right. So, uh, yeah, if y'all, y'all want to turn to Luke chapter 2, we will uh, start in verse 1. And it says this, In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Um, So tonight, as we we study this... um, the rest of this Christmas story, we're going to talk about um, two <coughs> groups of people. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about uh, one group that is respected and wealthy, and and um, and this other group that is is cast out and poor. <coughs> but uh, Jesus didn't come for one or the other. He came for the sick. <coughs> right? He said, I didn't come for the well, I came for the sick. And apart from him, that describes each and every one of us. Without Christ, we are, we are all sick. And, um, and that's who he came for. And so, um, so we, we start in Luke 2 because we didn't cover that, uh, that first part uh, where Caesar has issued this decree. He wants to count up all the people, right? He wants to, he wants to um, be able to charge them taxes. He's got a big army. It takes money to run a big army. He's, got, he's trying to build a, a, a road infrastructure. It takes a lot of money to build a road <laughs> infrastructure. Um, plus, he probably, wants, uh, he probably wants some of that for himself, too, I would imagine. Sure. So, uh, so he's taking this census and tells everybody to go to their hometown. Um, and so, um, you know, we... Uh, when we were going through the story, we talked about David for a couple of weeks. We talked about Solomon. Um, David had some wives, mm-hmm. quite a few kids. Solomon had a lot of wives, lot of wives. and a lot of kids. Um, and all of those people descended from them had to go where? They had to go to Bethlehem. <laughs> So it's no, really no surprise, right, that, that, that Mary, who is very pregnant at this point, um, it, you know, 
my wife, Susan, is like a speed walker. She is so fast. I can't. I'm always asking. You got to slow down. Like, just don't walk so fast. Where you know, you're in Walmart or whatever. Just, I can't keep up with you. I'm out of breath. But when she was pregnant with both of our kids, all of a sudden the roles were reversed, and she kept saying to me, "We'd be somewhere." She's like, "Why are you walking so fast?" I'm like, "Honey, I have one speed. It is constant. I don't change it." You, but she, she, she thought she was walking the same speed too. But no. No, she was like waddling through the store because she was um, pregnant, and and um, it's just kind of humorous to us to talk about sometimes. But uh, I would imagine that Mary being pregnant, maybe she didn't, she couldn't travel as fast as as uh, everybody else who was going to their hometown for the census. <laughs> and so there's a lot of people going to Bethlehem. Bethlehem's a small place, and. Mary and Joseph probably aren't traveling at the same speed as everyone else. Right. Right. And so maybe they get there kind of last. Mm-hmm. Well, there's nowhere left to stay. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere left to stay. And so um, they, they, they sought refuge and privacy in the only place that they could find, the only place that was offered to them. And it was, um, it was this um, um, manger, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about the manger. Um, but really, interestingly, there's not a lot of, of lumber in right. that region of the yeah. world. Yeah. Um, they don't have a lot of lumber. They don't have a lot of spare lumber to be building stables. shelter, f- right. stables for livestock. What they do have an abundance of, however, is caves it's it's very rocky it's very mountainous there are a lot of of caves in that region and as much as we um have grown accustomed to seeing the manger scene with you know the 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 little the crash right yeah um the stable we can be like 99 percent sure that jesus was actually born in a cave mm-hmm. Um, they would they they would put the livestock in these caves, and they might build a, a wooden barrier to put across the entrance to keep them in there. Um, but he was probably born in a cave, and uh, these caves, though, um, I mean, just think about that: the King of Kings, the Creator of the universe, the one by whom and for whom and through whom all things were made, born in a cave. Just so he could dwell with us. He's born in a cave and died in a cave. (laughs) Yeah, because interestingly, where did they also put their dead? In caves. In caves. We see that all the way back to to Abraham's day in, in Genesis, that that when someone would die, they would bury them in a cave, mm-hmm. and um, so they didn't just keep their livestock there, but they kept the dead there as well, um, and uh, I think that this just shows us, um, kind of it's foreshadowing, right? It's like this is why he came. This baby came. He was born to die. He was born to dwell among us and to die. 
and um, uh, we're going to talk about that a little more. But I want to read about the shepherds first. So we're going to read 8 through 20. Um, w- would you mind to read 8 through 20? Sure. Would that be f- fine? <clears throat> in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keep, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. Um, I, I love this. I love this part of of the story, and I, uh, I think there's great reasons for why a lot of people, when they're with their family on Christmas, they'll read this chapter, this part of the story, um, because it should fill us with a lot of hope. I mean, we've got shepherds. Uh, who are this group of people who are not trusted. They are seen as as liars. They are seen as dirty. They are seen as um, outcasts. No one wants to be around the shepherds. Um, People didn't trust them. And... In fact, uh, the um, the religious leaders had um, their oral laws, laws not given by God, um, that actually um, prohibited the shepherds from being able to worship with everyone else. Mm-hmm. They had to worship separately from everyone else. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a thing that 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 God wants right. for His people. Um, and uh, so they weren't wanted. The irony of this situation is that shepherds were the ones who were taking care of these flocks, the the sheep, the lambs, and these. Um, Lambs were important because it was these lambs that, who used the lambs? The religious leaders used the lambs as sacrifices. Mm -hmm. So, um, on the one hand, you've got these people that the religious leaders won't even associate with, raising the lambs that were a very central, um, critical part of how they led the people in in um, in worship, 
because these lambs, again, we can go all the way back to Genesis and mm-hmm. see that God promises, um, promises that he will provide the lamb. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's ironic that they would be the ones raising the lambs that were being sacrificed in the temple. Um, now, what's even more interesting to me, and I'm sorry, I have like a ton of information. <laughs> I usually have like one or two pages of things that I'd kind of like to say. I have four tonight, so I'm just kind of talking as fast as I can, which isn't very fast, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying. And um, right outside of Bethlehem, though, there was this location <coughs> called the, Mig- the Migdal Ader. And it's mentioned in um, Micah 4 and Genesis 35, and it's this site. It means Tower of the Flock. They had built a tower there. They raised sheep there. And it was this location where um, they would raise the lambs for the temple sacrifice. That's where they were kept and raised. And very close to that (coughs) is where there was a system of caves where they would keep the lambs that they needed to keep, um, right? The lambs had to be unblemished, right? The lambs had to be, um, they had to protect them. Mm -hmm. They had to make sure that they were perfect, that they didn't have any broken bones, that they didn't have any um, scars, that they didn't have, that they weren't, uh, that they didn't hurt each other, that they didn't hurt themselves. And so when 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 they had a firstborn lamb who was, who was um, they thought would be a good sacrificial lamb, they would take it and they would put it in the cave. And not only would they keep it in the cave where it could be safe, but in the cave they stored, wait for it, strips of linen, cloths, that they would wrap the lambs in. They would tie their feet together so that they couldn't move about and run around and injure themselves because they had to keep them safe so that they could be taken to the temple and sacrificed. And so in a cave like this, we see that Jesus is born and wrapped in cloths. And not only is that what they did for the the sacrificial lamb but with those same strips of linen they would wrap their dead and so here we see this baby boy mm-hmm. born <laughs> in this cave and wrapped in the same cloth that they would wrap the sacrificial lamb and their dead in and um so we get to this part in this story where where the ang- these angels show up, and what do they say? They say in verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, okay. What about that as a sign? To our modern Western thinking, I think, you know, like, okay, laying in a ma- laying in like a food trough yeah. uh, if you watch the kids video that we made um, a couple weeks ago they kept calling it, uh, the food dish, food dish. They, they, they put them in the food dish yeah. um, 
that's kind of weird, right? That's that's kind of weird. It's a little bizarre. You don't usually see a baby in a food dish. But when you have a newborn, do we not, like, wrap them up pretty quickly? I mean, not always immediately, but we have to keep them warm. And it's not uncommon to see a newborn baby swaddled. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't seem like much of a sign to me until you know understand the cultural context of what's happening. It's not just that they wrapped him up. The shepherds show up and they see the sign that this baby is wrapped in burial clothes, wrapped in sacrificial cloth meant for the lamb. And what would John, who we talked about a couple weeks ago, what would he later say? Behold. The lamb. The lamb. Behold the lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And we get all of that, the hope of that, in the Christmas story. It's right there. And it's beautiful. And it fills us with hope. Um, so, the shepherds are in the field and the angels show up. But not only do the angels show up, there's another another entity that shows up. Um, who is it? What is it? You're asking me? I'm asking you, yeah. <laughs> yes. No, but yeah. Before that, I think is what you're Verse 9. Yeah. The glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, we got to stop and talk about the glory for a minute. Because... This is not <coughs> the way the story should have been written. <laughs> <coughs> if this were a hoax, and a lot of people back then thought that it was, a lot of people now think that it is. If this were a hoax, if this were something that, you know, somebody's trying to start up a new religion, and they want everybody to buy into it, this is not how the story is written. Mm-hmm. So I want to try to, as quickly as I can, share the story of the glory. We just went through this. We just went through the story, the Bible study, and um, so this is almost a recap of that of our last year together. Um, So, the glory is the visible manifestation of God. When God shows up, it's always manifested in the form of, of, of a cloud or fire or both. And it's this, this radiant brilliance unlike anything that we've ever seen. 
In Exodus 3, God calls this man named Moses to lead Israel out of slavery, and he manifests himself how? He shows up to call Moses. How does he do it? In a burning bush, right? Except the bush is not consumed, right? So this is a very special type of fire. It's the glory. It's the glory of God in the bush. Um, it's a radiance, a, a brilliance that, that doesn't act like normal fire. Moses leads the people across the Red Sea uh, to a place called Mount Sinai, and and as he um, and, and there's and there's there's lightning and a cloud that descends upon the mountain, and God speaks the law into existence in Exodus 20. And when God descends and speaks, the people say, "Moses, please don't ever let that God speak to us again." They're 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 terrified, and I think it symbolizes the fact that the law and legalism can never bring us. And never bring a person into a place of intimacy with God. Why? Because rules weren't made to be broken. They were made to show us that we are broken and that we need a Savior. And Moses goes up and speaks to God and he sees his glory. And when he comes down the mountain, his face is lit up like a light bulb. And they can't even look at him. They have to put a veil over his face because his face is, is, is lit up with the glory of God. And Moses, he builds this tabernacle in the wilderness, exactly like God asks him to. And in Exodus 40, God's glory descends upon the tabernacle, and the glory guides them through the wilderness for 40 years. The glory would get up and move, and they would follow it. They'd pick all their stuff up, all their, all their tents, all their possessions, and they would move through the wilderness with the glory as it guided them. And it, it shows them where to go and when to go. And it stays there in the tabernacle as they take it into the promised land. And, and through the time of the judges, it stays with them. And through the time of King David and, and uh, King Saul and King David and King Solomon, it stays with them. And Solomon builds the first temple, the first permanent temple in, in, in Jerusalem. And God's glory moves from the tabernacle and fills the Holy of Holies, this inner sanctuary that that they weren't even allowed to go into it fills it up the glory does the glory of God and it's this radiant brilliance and then it gets really interesting the people once again start to rebel and the kingdom splits Northern Kingdom and Southern Kingdom. We talked about that a little bit last week. And, and most all of their kings <coughs> are evil. But the glory remains in the temple in Jerusalem. And then the Assyrian Empire conquers the Northern Kingdom in 722. The Babylonian Empire comes around, comes to power, and takes the first wave of, they conquer the Assyrians, it takes the first wave of Jews out um, of Jerusalem into captivity in 606 B.C., that's where our friends Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they head to Babylonia in that wave. And the glory remains in the temple. And in 597, the second wave is taken and, is, and Ezekiel goes with them. And it's at this time, 597 B.C., this is, I think, important to know, um, that in Ezekiel 9 through 11, Ezekiel has a vision that God gives him where he sees the glory of God leave the temple and go out the eastern gate to the Mount of Olives and ascend back into heaven. 
It's in 597 BC. In 586, the third wave is taken out. They leave behind some peasants. The city is completely plundered. The temple is burned to the ground. But guess what? Even though the building is gone, the glory is okay. Because the glory is not there. And the Jews stay in captivity for 70 years as prophesied. And um, the whole time, the glory never returns. And that means that in this story in Luke 2, the glory had not been seen for 590 years. No one had seen the glory. The glory that had guided them through the wilderness, who had protected them from the armies of Egypt, the glory that had, had taken them into the promised land, the glory that had resided with them um, through good times and bad times, the glory that had, um, that had, had uh, been this, this brilliant light that showed the nations that were looking at Israel as they were taking over the, the promised land, that showed them that there's something with them we can't explain. No one had seen it for almost 600 years. And then, all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, to a bunch of lowly shepherds that no one wanted around, the glory shows up. It doesn't show up to the king. It doesn't show up to the high priest. It doesn't show up to the, the who's who and, and, or the high society. It shows up to the lowest of the low. And it's shown around them. And it's the presence of God. God's very presence shows up to the least of these first. Kind of like God looking at a 14-year-old girl that nobody knows and says, Hey, I want you to carry the Messiah bring him into the world. And I think that if you're, you know, it doesn't really, the story doesn't really stop there. It keeps going. The, the glory shows up, um, I think, again in the story here in a minute, but the, 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 you know, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory shows up. We see Jesus glorified there. I think that when Jesus ascends into heaven, again from the Mount of Olives, just like when the glory left the earth in 597 B.C., ascended from the Mount of Olives, Jesus ascends from the Mount of Olives in what? In a cloud. Well, how is the glory manifested? In cloud and fire. In cloud or, and or fire. I think he ascends in glory from the same place. And, and then even in Acts chapter 2, when the church is, is birthed at Pentecost, what falls on them? Fire. And I think it's the glory that comes and lives in them, in us, because it's no, it, it, it traded a singular temple 
in a singular place to live in the royal priesthood of believers who are, Peter, Peter writes, are living stones built into a, 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 a royal priesthood, a living stones built into a, a, a house. And Paul writes that we are a temple of, of what? The Holy Spirit. I think that, that the glory shows up and trades that one place for the many places like we're all many temples so that we can go out and bring the glory of God to the nations. <coughs> to the least of these, just like he always um, has always been doing. But if you are trying to make a, create a hoax, if you're trying to trick people into believing something, following a religion, you don't write the story this way. You don't have the glory that hasn't been seen in 590 years show back up to the most unlikely people imaginable. Luke would be crazy to write that. He would have to be insane to write that unless it's true. So truly, as Jesus said, that the last will be first and the first will be last. And man, does um, that fill me with a lot of hope tonight. It fills me with a lot of hope that God cares enough to share this special moment in Luke 2 with um, that has been in the works since the fall of man in Genesis 3. It's this moment that he shares with the lowest of the low, with the least of these. And sometimes I feel like that. I feel like the least of these. There's many times I feel like a failure, like a no one, like unwanted. And that's how they felt, and God showed up to them. And if that's how God acts, and I, I have to come to this ultimate c conclusion, I have to state this to <laughs> finish my thought, if that is what God is doing, if that is how God acts, if that is how he loves this world, then who are we reaching out to? And I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm just asking a self-reflective question. Who are we reaching out to? If the glory, if the glory resides in us, In fact, Paul writes in Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the glory reaches out to the least of these. Israel as a nation was the least of these at one point. Mm -hmm. And who does the glory walk with and lead? The least of these. They had nothing. They were slaves. Mm -hmm. Then who are we who are we reaching out to? Who are we bringing the good news, the hope that Christ came to dwell with us? Who are we taking that message to? And in this story, it's, it's these shepherds, men who knew the, the, the sign of the Passover lamb, the, the lamb being wrapped in these cloths, men who needed to hear that this lamb 
was for what did the angels say that it was for all the people including the ones that no one wanted around that's good news it was good news for them then and it's good news for us tonight <clears throat> um, okay I'm sorry that I talked for so long not really but thank you for listening and um, are there any questions about the shepherds before we talk about the wise men or comments or comments insights lots of great info thanks for sharing mm -hmm. anyone going to change your nativity at home put it in a cave <laughs> 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 I'm not, but just make sure my kids know. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, Matthew chapter 2 then. Oh, what I did have a question. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is there any significance... Um, I don't even think we got to this verse now that I said that. I'm going to ask it anyway. On <laughs> verse 21, it says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, blah, blah, even though they already knew his name. So why did they wait till he got circumcised to give him his name, even though they already knew his name? That, that's how they that did was it. The, that was their custom. That was the uh, public... Yeah the public record of what his name would be. I mean, I'm sure they were already calling him that, but on the eighth day, you would take them to mm -hmm. the temple, to the synagogue, whatever, and, and um, they would make a public record of what the child's name would be. It's the same thing that happens with John, yeah. with Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's just they don't point out on the eighth day, but it's the same presentation where they would have said his name is John. Yeah. yeah. Good question. This like kind of isn't really important, I don't think. But like, was it cold? Was it hot? Was it comfortable? <laughs> like, was she like sweating and while she was in labor? Was it cold? Like, yeah. I, yeah. How was the weather? Like, yeah. it, like in that part of the world? I well, don't know. <laughs> so, so it's it's in, in it's a roundabout way. You're saying because it, it's not. We winter. celebrate Christmas in December. Right. Was he born? Yeah. Um, most likely. No one can definitively say, but most likely he would have been born in what we would consider the spring. Um, part of that is just because of the, the even when you tie in the shepherds and, and where they would have been watching the flock, um, if you think about building towards Passover, there's significance with the lambs. So that part of the world, it gets cooler at night it's, anyway. So, I mean, it's going to be cool, but I don't know that it would be like what we would think of as winter. Yeah. But it's, it wasn't desert, it's, per it's se. It's very arid. No, but okay. Bethlehem's very, like, if, even today, if you look at pictures of Bethlehem, it's, it's very rocky. Right. Um, not so much sandy, just very, very rocky. Um, just kind of how that well, part of the world. I, I've never been there, so I can't say firsthand, but we did live in San Diego for a while, and it's very arid and rocky there, too. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that the instant the sun goes down as soon as it sets it drops like 10 or 15 degrees yeah. Yeah. every day because there's not there's no there's nothing holding in the heat mm -hmm. <laughs> it just it's just gone and um it's very similar uh in that 
in that area as well where, it, yeah, when the sun goes down, it gets cold. Mm -hmm. um, so, no, it probably wasn't winter. It probably was springtime. Mm -hmm. And it very, I mean, Passover and Easter as we celebrate it now is, is uh, in the springtime. Mm -hmm. um, it probably was sometime around when they were raising the lamb, the mm -hmm. Passover lamb that we would later... Um, that Paul would later write, Jesus, our Passover lamb. That's, that was what Jesus was. Um, so I think that that's why we see these shepherds like like this light bulb goes off and they get excited and they, they leave and they're like shouting in the streets about, they're telling everybody that they see yeah. what happened about this baby. Um, because I think, I think that they got it. I think they understood that what they just saw it really was a sign. It really was this this baby was mm -hmm. something special. Mm -hmm. it, that this baby was the Messiah. Um, I was watching TV and uh, a lot of comments from little people about Christmas, and they all had something to say different except this one little girl. And I'm, I'm thinking how conducive this story is to us. But to some people, it's not as conducive. This one little girl said, I celebrate Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. So the meaning of this story is not the same to her right. as it is to us. And, there's, I mean, and how somebody at her early age had implanted in her or helped implant her, her stance on what she believed mm -hmm. which I said somebody has done a good job on implanting it mm -hmm. do we do as good a job mm -hmm. implanting our beliefs on our children mm -hmm. yeah. I'm trying to well, I'm just, sure you are. <laughs> well, I, I, but, you know, I, yeah, I think when you look at uh, the celebration of Hanukkah, which the more I look at it, I, I think there's a lot of things. I think there's a lot of things even we as Christians can take out of that. It's, it's an Old Testament. Like, there's there's some tie to looking for the Messiah. Yeah. Um, they, just, they just don't agree on who the Messiah is with us. Um, but to your point, you know, in our culture, Hanukkah is not the prevalent holiday, right? So, so Christmas, by becoming the cultural holiday in the United States, uh, I think there there is more danger for us as Christians to allow our children to grow up and kind of have this blended Christmas celebration that that incorporates not so much of the meaning behind it, but it incorporates a lot of things from culture. Um, I, a couple of years ago, a church I was at, we did a fun uh, true-false quiz with adults on the Christmas story. And a lot of the statements were things that, that we've grown accustomed to putting in the story that aren't in the story in Scripture. Um, and, and it was just interesting to watch, and it's stuff we all grew up with. It's, it's the fact that um, in, in our nativities at home, we have wise men in the nativity, but they don't come for two years. They don't. They never go to the cave. They go to a, a house. Um, there's, you know, how many wise men? We always kind of lump in three. Well, there were three gifts, 
but I guarantee you three guys didn't travel from where they traveled by themselves with such luxurious gifts because they would have been robbed. So that, that's a caravan of people. Um, so all these things, it, I think the danger in our culture is it's very easy to say, you know, how many of our kids grow up with, with all the cultural norms for Christmas and aren't as focused as that young lady was on, on her religion's tradition of, of their holiday. <coughs> she knows the facts of what they believe. Um, and, th- and I think there's some takeaway for us there that we, we can be challenged by. <coughs> yep. It's kind of going off what you were just saying, Jonathan. One thing that I guess I hadn't realized until a couple of years ago when you were teaching through some of us in San Diego is that it never says Mary rode on a donkey. Mm-mm. Never. No, I was like, what? Yeah. He was, it, he was in a cave and there was no donkey? Yeah. yeah. Why well, that, is this even true? Like, obviously it is. Yeah. But, you know, it's just like, what else have I, like, thought right. that it isn't actually in there? That was on the true-false quiz, right? Yeah. Mary rode a donkey to, to Bethlehem, and everybody was like, true, true, true. Right. And it's like, show me the verse. It's right. not in there. Right. And reality is, Joseph was not wealthy. The likelihood is they could not have afforded right. a donkey for her to ride to Bethlehem. So more than likely, pregnant Mary walked or was carried by Joseph part of that journey. I mean, that, right? So when you think about that, then, then even Jesus' entry into this world was much more of a struggle than taking an Uber to Bethlehem, and, right? I mean, this, this was not, but, but it is. It's things that we, we see it on Christmas cards, and it makes a beautiful picture, and it, we just start assuming, oh, well, that's how it was. So the movie Small One never happened. <laughs> right, Small One, a great movie. Yes. Love it. Yeah. But it's not <clears throat> scriptural, right? It's like it's it's a great cartoon to talk about this donkey who, oh, he's discounted. But you can see kind of that spirit in, in the shepherds, right? He's the outcast. He's the one not thought very highly of, but in that film he becomes sure. prominent. Yeah. The star is the same way. The star is the same way. Yeah, not, not, yeah. There, there were a couple of teenagers at our church this year that I think I shattered their, their Christmas because I told them the wise men weren't in the nativity and they were like, what? (laughs) And so, sorry. (laughs) Well, let's read about the wise men. Yeah. Take Ah. a, take a two year skip ahead in the future here. Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route or route, however you want to say it. I've heard it both ways. (laughs) However you want to say that word. It's not in the Greek either way. So, (laughs) Um, All right, so first we have not we three kings, not three little kings, but we have Magi. Magi. Um, Magi are it's where we get the word magician mm-hmm. first off, mm-hmm. but they're astrologers. Um, they're astrologers, and um, we have, and they're also from the east, right? So they're they're not they're not Jews, they're Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And um, what do we really know about these Gentile astrologers? Well, um. I'm, I'm going to get into maybe some – you don't have to agree with anything I say ever in this room, okay? <laughs> but um, I'm just going to tell you what, what I think, and you can take it uh, – definitely take it through the Bible for yourself and, um, and see what conclusion you come to. But I take this back to the book of Daniel. Um, Daniel was written while the Israelites were in exile in Babylon, right? Babylon is to the east of Israel. In chapter 2 of that book, Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in that dream, um, well, he, he, he wakes up and he's like, I don't know what this means. So he, he calls in his magi. And he says, tell me what this means. And they're like, we don't know. We don't know what it means. We can't, in fact, we can't. No one could possibly interpret this. There's no one that could tell you what this means. And he says, you tell me what it means right now, or I'm going to kill all of you. Like all, they had their own school, their own like college. And he's like, I'm going to kill all of you if you can't tell me what this dream means. And they can't do it. So he's got them on. Um, he's got them on the chopping block, so to speak. And and Daniel comes in because Daniel has been brought. They took they and. Israel has been brought into Babylon and they would take the brightest people and they would put them in, place them in different schools. And so Daniel had been placed in the school of, of the Magi, of the wise men. And Daniel comes in and says, hey, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You didn't ask me. Like, <laughs> and so he's like, listen, let me go pray to my God and I'll give you an answer tomorrow. And so he comes back and, and God, through Daniel, interprets the dream. And in that action, God, through Daniel, saves the entire school of magi, of wise men. And not only does he save all of those people, but he gets placed in charge of that school. So now he's their teacher, mm-hmm. Daniel, who, who loves the Lord who knows the scripture and um, <clears throat> has this personal relationship with God is in charge of this whole school. And I 
um, cannot imagine a situation where he didn't start to share things about his God and about his scriptures that uh, with this school of, of people who are supposedly wise. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, let me introduce you to the only wise God. And um, so later on, in chapter 9, Daniel also prophesies about when the Messiah would be born. He's still in, he's still in Babylon and prophesies about when the Messiah would be born. And I think these Magi in Babylon would have learned about the Messiah from him, seeing him as their boss, as their teacher, as their rabbi. And um, uh, so I think that's how they know. I think that these are, are, are wise men from the east, from the remnants of Babylon, who ha- are descendants of the people who were in this school, who knew Daniel personally. And I think they've been counting down um, the days to this this Messiah. Uh, how do they know about the star? Again, Daniel teaching them. I think I, be- I believe I can't prove it, but I believe that he probably would have taught them the scriptures because they were an educated. They were supposed to be educated. They were they were wise men. They were advisors to the king. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I believe he would have taught them those things. Uh, there is. We do have a story, a prophecy about a star. It comes from Numbers 22. We've got this story about this guy named Balaam, and he has this donkey, and God talks through a donkey. Now, I don't know about you, but if a donkey talked to me, I'm going to pass that story down to my offspring and to their kids, too. That is not a story that you keep to yourself. And so... um, Balaam, also a guy, a wise man, a magi from, you guessed it, the east. And he says, um, he, God uses him and prophesies through him in Numbers 24 and says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Of course, Jacob had his name changed to Israel. So when he says a star will come out of Jacob, he means a star is going to come out of the nation of mm-hmm. Israel um, at some point in the future. And so I think um, that these things combined as evidence enough for me, maybe not for you, um, and that's fine, but evidence enough that um, the knowledge of these two prophecies um, I think were particularly interesting to a school full of astrologers, and uh, especially astrologers who had been saved by Daniel's God. Uh, I think that they wanted to show their gratitude for that deliverance, and they've been counting down the days, waiting for this sign, um, waiting for the right time to go and to um, and to worship and to thank the coming Messiah that Daniel knew about and taught them about. Um, so, um, yes. So, this, so, so that's, that's what I think about that, about who they are. Um, we have like one minute. <laughs> so, <coughs> I'm just going to say this about the star. Um, 
they recognize that the star it's not an ordinary star they're like hey they call it his star they come to the, they come to Herod they say we saw his star we saw his star uh, your Bible might say in the east there should be a footnote marked mm-hmm. next to in the east that should say or star when it rose we think about stars stars are just like the sun they rise in the east and they set in the west just like the sun because of the rotation of the earth. The moon does the same thing. So um, either this star rose in the east and set in the west, but there's something so spectacular about it that they just like, hey, th- we got to follow this thing. Or um, they saw it when it rose. Now remember, they are... F- to the east, looking to the west. Mm-hmm. Again, personally, you don't have to agree with me. I believe what they saw was a star that rose, not in the east like all the other stars, but to the west over the nation, or in the direction of the nation of Israel. They saw the star rise out of Jacob, just like God prophesied through Balaam. And um, furthermore, if I'm going to be fully transparent, what I believe they actually saw was I think they saw the, shep- the, the, the glory that shone around the shepherds. I believe that's what they saw, rise from the shepherds' location in Bethlehem and ascend back into heaven. Um, because the word star can actually be interpreted brilliance. And the glory, as we've already discussed, is this radiant brilliance. Um, it also does some weird things, like the fact that it it doesn't just travel from east to west or rise, whatever. It leads them from Jerusalem to Bethlehem and then stops over a house. Well, if a star stops over your house, the earth's going to explode, okay? <laughs> um, not only that, but Jerusalem, or Bethlehem, is directly south of Jerusalem, which means the star must have gone not east to west, but north to south. Which doesn't happen. And so, what, do we, what have we already talked about? That is a brilliant light that guides people to where they need to go. The glory of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think it's completely plausible, and in fact, highly likely, this is what I believe, that the star was not a star as we think of a star, but it was God's glory, guiding the wise men, the magi, to, um, to their deliverer. To show to show us that this 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 savior is not just for the Jews; it is for the whole world. Just like the angels said to the shepherds, it's for all the people. Um, and then, of course, there's three gifts: gold for a king, frankincense is an incense burned uh, by priests to foreshadow Messiah becoming our high priest, and myrrh is a perfume. Uh, used in embalming bodies foreshadowing Christ's death. And so together we see this picture of Christ's person and character as prophet, priest, and king, who he is. Not only that, but these are very expensive gifts, as Jonathan already um, uh, said earlier. And guess what's about to happen? Uh, Mary and Joseph are poor, and they need to get the heck out of Dodge because Herod's coming and he's killing all the baby boys. And... Um, and he's crazy, which is why all Jerusalem was disturbed with him. That's why, because he's in, he's literally insane. And uh, um, 
we don't have time to get into that. And and then and then uh, so they got to get they got to they got to get out of there. Well, how are they going to afford an extended vacation? They can't. But God started a, a, a vacation savings fund fourteen hundred years go, go earlier. Fund a go fund me. <laughs> a go fund me. With uh, with Balaam and then with Daniel and with the the school of the Magi, um, he provided because he is Jehovah Jireh and he provides. He always provides. You may not know how it's going to happen. You may not know where it's going to come from. But if we follow him, he always, always, always provides. Um, so, um, so yeah, Jesus. Jesus is 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 amazing, and it, it's it's good news. All of this stuff is good news. That that tonight we can leave here um, knowing that our faith does not rest on our bank account. It does not rest on the state of our um, um, our city or our nation. It does not rest on. Um, anything except for the truth of his word and for the fact that truth and grace um, came to dwell with us. It came to dwell with us. And I had this verse from John 1.14 written down at the end. Uh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And we kind of started our semester talking about grace and truth, and so I wanted to end our semester talking about grace and truth. That we need both of those things. We need to walk in both of those things so that we can be an effective, effective priesthood of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So, that's it. I'm sorry that I talked so much. <laughs> I know that we've been having more discussion-based stuff, but it was just too—it was too much for one night. We really need a fourth week and then the, the Christmas study. But um, thank you for listening and being patient and for coming week after week and. Uh, being a part of this we love each and every one of you and we're just so thankful that you've been here uh, we hope that you've been blessed this semester this is our last wednesday night together until january so we we merry christmas <laughs> we hope that you have an amazing merry christmas and um lord thank you for your grace and truth we praise you and we just thank you for the good news that you came to dwell with us regardless of any kind of status that you loved us enough to be born in a cave so that you might die for the sin of the world as our lamb, our Passover lamb. And so we thank you and we praise you. May we glorify you through this holiday season. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.